to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We are continuing our sermon series called The Story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And the title today is the question I'm going to ask you, and that is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I'm sure that as I asked that question, there were thoughts, ideas, things that popped into your mind. There's a lot of different answers to that question as far as who he really is because there's a lot of terms that can be used to describe him and who he is and what he does that is true. But there's also a lot of different terms, titles or whatever that could be used that may not be true, but it's a, it, yet it's what people think. I tried to compile a list of as many as I could think of that I've run across Throughout the last couple of years, actually through the last couple of decades, about who is Jesus? If you were to go somewhere and take a survey and say, who do you think Jesus is? You might get some of these answers. And I may give you a couple answers you never thought of before and never heard before. Some people would say, you know what? Jesus isn't even a real person. He never existed. That was a very popular opinion for a while. But can I tell you that in today's society, for somebody to really believe that, um, it just shows that they really aren't in tune with historical facts because it's been proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus really did exist. Whatever you think about him, he really was a real man that existed. And to totally ignore that or to deny that, you're just out of touch with history. But some might would say that Jesus was a great man. And because he was a great man, he makes a great example. I would agree with that. Some say he's a great teacher. We need to take what he has to say and figure out how to apply it because he talked about how we should love one another and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Some would say that he was a prophet. Others would just say he was just an important religious leader. Some people would say he's a political revolutionary and there have been a number of places around the world through history where there would be a time that there should be a big change and they would use Jesus as their figurehead, as their leader, as the one they draw strength from, just like he wanted to change everything. We need to change everything. Some would say he was just an important religious leader. Some would say he was a blasphemer. Because he put himself forth as if he were God and he was not God. In fact, the Jewish people at the time Jesus was here on earth, the religious leaders and some others felt that way about him. Some would just say he was just one of many cult leaders. Some would say that he wasn't just a man, but he was not quite God either. He's somewhere in between. And some have taken that to say, well, he is one of the greatest created beings. He was the first created being and then God used him to create everything else. Some would say that he is the, the brother of Lucifer, that you've got God and God created Jesus and Lucifer and their brothers and one went on to the good side and one went to the dark side, if we want to use, um, you know, Star Wars terminology. Some say that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Some say that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Then there are those that say he's the son of God and God himself. Can I tell you that this is probably the most important question that every single individual needs to deal with? Who is 
Jesus. Because who we, by the way, we don't get to decide who he is. He is who he is. It's just, will we recognize him? Will we admit that he is who he is? And will we allow the truth of what we find out to influence our lives? Because who Jesus is will not only influence our lives, but it influences eternity. Because of what we believe, the Bible teaches us about who Jesus is. So who do you believe Jesus to be? Now some of you, maybe even most of you, many of you here in this place and watching online, you may say, I got this down. I know Jesus is God and he's the son of God and he came to die and he's my savior and I believe all those same things too and we're going to talk about that. The Bible definitely gives the foundation for that. But if that's as far as your belief and your faith go, it's still falling a bit short Well, I know, I know, he's not only my savior, but I look to him for everything. He's my healer, he's my deliverer, he's my provider. And thank God for Jesus, because without him, I'd be in trouble. And most all of us could say, yep, that's true. But if that's as far as your belief and your faith go, you are still falling short. You say, how in the world would I be falling short if I believe those things? Well, we're going to get into that today. So who do you say that Jesus is. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. And the background to this passage is we've been studying through the gospel of Luke. This is the story of Jesus. And Luke wrote for the specific purpose to show who Jesus is, and he drops clues along the way, but he primarily depends upon the description of Jesus and his message and his ministry to build up to the fact of this is who Jesus is and I want you to understand who he is and I want you to come to this conclusion not just because I say so talking about Luke not just because I say this but because you see it in him and what he said and what he did and so the story of Luke as we studied a long time ago when we started this series begins with the miraculous circumstances of Jesus's life It talks about how he entered into ministry as the way was prepared by John the Baptist. And as he entered in and then began to travel and gather followers and call them to be with him, he had this very strong message. And his ministry confirmed that message. And that ministry was not just caring for people and having compassion on them and, you know, giving them a pat on the back, but he actually did the miraculous He would heal those that were sick or deformed. He would deliver people who were under the power of demonic spirits. He raised the dead. Already in Luke, we've seen one time where he raised a little girl from the dead. He had power over nature. We saw the story where they were in the boat. They were crossing the sea, the great storm. He's asleep. They wake him up. Lord, we're going to die. And he calmed the storm and it was calmed immediately. And even then, they're like, who is this guy? He multiplied food. We saw that last week when he took five loaves and two fish and he multiplied that to where it fed probably 10,000 plus people. All these things are building blocks that Luke has been putting one after the other, after the other, after the other to cause his readers, to cause those who he probably never dreamed that 2,000 years later almost there'd be people studying his, his, his story of Jesus. To get them to say, who is this guy? And in our text today, it all comes to a head. 
The story's not coming to a close. But everything up to this point is coming to a head where Jesus wants to know, do my followers get it? They've been with me all this time. They've seen all this stuff. Jesus sent them out and gave them power and authority to, 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 to heal people and deliver people and to preach the gospel. And they came back. They'd been successful. He says, do they get it yet? Who I really am. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. So let's take a look at this. Luke 9, 18 says, And now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone... The disciples were with him. Now, let me just stop that and deal with two things. First of all, Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell this story. Matthew and Mark tell this story also, but he's the only one that mentions that it was while Jesus was praying. And we've mentioned that before. Just a little side note that Luke likes to point out that before every significant thing, Jesus prayed about it. But he also points out that Jesus prayed every day. But Luke, more than any other gospel writer, points out Jesus' prayer life. And I've said this so many times. If Jesus needed that time alone with his heavenly father, we sure do. You might say, well, wait a minute. It says he was praying alone, but the disciples were with him. That's that's just a contradiction. You know, nobody would be stupid enough to write a contradiction like that within three words of each other. Basically, what's saying is that one of two things. Either he was... Praying alone away from the crowds and his disciples were with him. Or he was praying alone and then his disciples joined him and they had this conversation. Got that out of the way. Let's go on. And he asked them, the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old have risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, let's dig into this today. I want to look at four questions Today, Two of them are in the text, and then the other two questions are the same questions, but they're applied to our lives today. And the first question is this, who did people think Jesus was? Back then, at this moment in time, with the background I gave you, who did people think Jesus was? We just read Luke 9, 18. Jesus turned to his disciples, and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? Why did Jesus ask this? Was he like us today looking for a compliment? What are people saying about me? Go ahead, tell me. You know, don't we all have that in our flesh? We want to know what people are saying as long as it's positive. And we want it to be positive. I mean, isn't that really kind of at the root of a lot of social media? Look at me, look at me, look at me, respond to me, respond to me, respond to me. I'm not saying that's, it's, social media is bad. I'm just saying there's something in us that we want to be loved, we want to be liked, we want people to think well of us. Is that what Jesus was doing here? No, he didn't need that. He knew who he was. He was totally confident in who he was. Was it because he didn't know? No, I, I'm sure he knew. 
I think what it was is that was his way of starting the conversation. Just like I do at the beginning of the sermon. I say, you know, today I want to ask you a question. Most of the time I do. I ask you a question to get you thinking about what God wants to speak to us about. I never thought of this before, but I've got a great example. I got that from Jesus. That just came into my head. All right. Yeah. He asked them a question to get them thinking about what God wanted to speak to them about. So he asked them, who do crowds say that I am? And they respond in verse 19, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And it used to always bug me that they say John the Baptist because Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. I mean, John the Baptist has been put to dead by King Herod, put to death by King Herod, not too long ago. And it's like, shouldn't it be obvious they're not the same person? You know, they say, maybe God raised John the Baptist. But you've got to realize they lived in a day and age where you didn't have this immediate communication and everything gets out there. And there's probably a lot of people that had heard about John the Baptist and heard about Jesus and had gone to see Jesus that maybe had never seen John the Baptist and thought, well, from things I heard about John the Baptist, maybe this Jesus fellow is John the Baptist. Oh, wait a minute, I heard he died. Well, maybe God raised him. You know, so all kinds of crazy ideas. I mean, we don't have crazy ideas float around in our society, do we, today? So there were some that were thinking, well, maybe, maybe, you know, God raised John the Baptist from the dead because he was a powerful man of God. Even King Herod wondered this. We, we studied this back a while ago, just earlier in the chapter, you know, verses um, 7 to 9. He says, King Herod was hearing all this stuff about Jesus. He says, who is this guy? Is he John the Baptist? God, who is he? In fact, the same three categories are mentioned when, John, when Herod the king is asking this question. Who is this guy? Is he John the Baptist? Is he Elijah? Is he some other prophet? And, and Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was the Jewish superhero. Okay? I mean, in our universe, we got all kinds of superheroes. The Marvel universe, all kinds of Everybody has their favorite. But in the Jewish culture, their superhero was Elijah. Except Elijah was a real person. Elijah was a powerful man of God that God had called to speak for him in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons why his name came up so immediately is that it had been prophesied in Malachi, the very last prophet to speak for God, 400 years before this. The Jewish people have not heard from God through a prophet for 400 years But Malachi prophesied that before the Messiah would come, the one that God was sending to straighten everything out, Elijah would come and prepare the way. And the Bible teaches that John the Baptist actually did fulfill that. He wasn't literally Elijah raised from the dead or brought back, but it was the spirit and power of Elijah that rested upon him and in him. And he fulfilled the responsibility that God put out there to prepare the way for the Messiah third category is just some other prophet. Some other great prophet that maybe God had raised from the dead. Somebody to speak for him. And they thought that was a great idea because as I said a moment ago, God had not spoken through a prophet for over 400 years, but obviously God is speaking through this man. It's said over and over again in his story, man, this guy speaks with authority. He speaks with confidence. He, he speaks like he really knows what he's talking about. And not just because he's quoting all the old sages and he's not quoting this and that. He did quote God's word. But because he had the confidence in himself. Who is this guy? And the crowds are saying, maybe John the Baptist. Maybe Elijah, finally. And the Messiah is coming soon. Or maybe just one of the other prophets. God's trying to speak to us once again. And all of these were compliments, but they all fell short of recognizing the truth. 
And can I tell you that that is so true of what many people think about Jesus today. There are some very negative things that people say about Jesus, they believe about Jesus, but there are some very positive things, like he's a great man, a great example, a great teacher, you know, a, a, you know and, and they're not negative, they're positive, but they fall so short of who he really is. The second question is this, who did Jesus' disciples think he was? Now, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with the obvious here because it's just spelled out in the text. We don't have to dig deeply to find out because they say so. Who did Jesus' disciples think he was? And so in Luke 9.20 in our text, Jesus says, But who do you say that I am? And as I mentioned, this is an important question for every single one of us, but this is a very important question for these disciples because, you see, Jesus is training these disciples up so that once he has accomplished what he came to do, they're going to go out and carry the message throughout the entire world and pass it on to others. Who's going to pass it on to others? And it's continued for 2,000 years. And it's very important that they get this right. Did they get it? Who do you say that I am? Peter, being the leader... Jesus never named him leader that we have a record of, but it's obvious he's the leader of the other 12. We've talked about him many times. He's bold, he's brash, he's zealous. He gives it his all, whether he's saying and doing the right thing or the wrong thing, he's going to give it 100%. But he also is very quick to recognize when he's wrong and to get it right. Great example. So Peter speaks up and he says, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Luke kind of shortens or gives a, a kind of a shorter version of the story. You read about it in Matthew. It has the longest and then Mark. And, and in Matthew, it says that Jesus said, you know what? You got it right, Peter. But you didn't get it all by yourself. It's only because God revealed it to you. But you got it right. You got it right. He says, you're the Christ of God. What is this Christ? Well, it's Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. So Christ is, no, it's not a last name. I know you all know that. Most of you do anyway. If you didn't, just pretend you already knew that. Christ is a title. Christ is the same, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. And both of them are a literal translation of the phrase, the anointed one. There were people throughout God's story in the Old Testament that God anointed in a special way by the power of his Holy Spirit. Thank God here on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that now every single one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit available to us. Amen. And you need to seek it and pray for it and walk in it. But in the Old Testament... God only poured out the Holy Spirit upon and in certain individuals that were called to do specific things. It was usually a prophet, a priest, or a king. And by the way, Jesus is all three. A prophet, a priest, or a king. And Peter says, you're the anointed one. But by this time, it wasn't just a way of saying, well, God's anointing is resting on you like it did a, in a, upon a number of other people in the Old Testament, you know, like King David and, and Samson and, you know, Saul and some other ones that's mentioned specifically. 
But by this time in the Jewish people's history, God had made promises along the way. That because of the sin problem in the world, because of all the mess, because of all the injustice and oppression and evil, that one day he was going to send someone to straighten it all out and to make it right. He would be another king in the line of David. And so at this time when Jesus is on earth, their current expectation was that God was going to raise up a descendant of David who would be a conquering warrior king who would drive away the Romans because the Romans had their thumb on the Jewish people as long as the rest of the world. But this one that God would raise would drive away the Romans and he would lead Israel to a place of power and peace and prosperity. He would make everything right and he would rule in justice and in glory. That sounds good for today, doesn't it? And the people were looking forward to this Messiah as we can imagine. I mean, don't we all yearn for things to be made right? For evil to be eliminated? For justice to reign, not just here and there and sometimes, but for all people of all time? Don't we yearn for all the effects of sin to be eliminated, all the sickness and disease and and the problems? and, And that's who the Jewish people were waiting for. That's who they were looking for. And so, and Jesus is that one, right? I mean, isn't Jesus going to come back and eliminate sin and its consequences and eliminate evil and and do all those things that we just talked about? Sure he is, because he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. So, when Jesus said, who do you think I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. Peter got it right, but he didn't quite get it right. I mean, he did get it right, but what he had in his head was different than the reality And that leads us to why Jesus said what he said next. In verse 21, it says that Jesus strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. If Jesus is out there preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and God's getting ready to break into history and do some wonderful things, why would he not want them to say, hey, you know, why wouldn't he say, yeah, Peter, you're right, you guys, that's what you need. You need to go out and tell everybody I'm the Messiah. And he not only told them here and in several other places, don't tell people this yet. But many times when he'd heal people, he'd say, don't don't tell anybody about that. They usually disobeyed him and went and told everybody they knew. Why is that? And the reason is, is because of this currently popular view of the Messiah, which is true, which is who Jesus is and what he's going to accomplish one day at the end of time. He is a descendant and a king in the line of David. God himself who will come back to defeat all evil and make everything right. Not just spiritually, but actually literally and physically. Set up a kingdom of power and glory and prosperity. So we read about it in Revelation, no more sin, sickness, sorrow, or disease. But you see, he had something else he had to do first. And he knew that if the word got out and it was promoted and confirmed that he's the Messiah, what are people going to think? 
He's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to throw the Romans out. He's going to raise an army. We're going to win. And we're going to have peace, power, and prosperity. And God's rule is going to reign on earth. And he knew that if people did that, it would throw off track what he had come to do. In fact, last week we talked about the story of when he fed the 5,000 off of the five loaves and two fishes. In Matthew's version, I think it is, because all four Gospels talk about that. It talks about how when he got done doing that, the people saying, let's make him king. Let's make him king. Let's make it. So he sent them all away as quick as possible. And sent the disciples off in a boat by themselves, probably because they were saying, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And it says he went up on a mountain to pray. So Jesus says, don't tell people this because they've got the wrong idea. They're right, but they got the wrong idea. He was afraid they would try to make him king and expect him to be a military leader and that could escalate the conflict with him and the religious leaders, which was already there and it's already going to escalate because it's going to lead to his death, but also escalate a conflict between him and the Roman Empire. It was too soon and for the wrong reason. So he says, don't tell anybody. So here's the key thought here. Peter's answer was right, but his understanding was wrong. Peter's answer was right, but his understanding was wrong. And I emphasize that because there are times we can have the right answers, but we've got the wrong understanding. Now, please understand, there's nothing wrong with the fact that Peter's answer was right and his understanding was wrong. He didn't know enough yet. But what this let Jesus know is that they're on the right track. They're picking up on all the cues. They're picking up on all the signals. They do understand where we're headed with this. They won't understand it all right now, but someday they will. Okay, yes, he is the Messiah. But the question is, what kind of Messiah? Not the one that they were looking for. Peter and all the other disciples too, because he represents them. He understood a little bit, but it was still unclear. And to be honest with you, it's going to stay unclear until after the resurrection. And I mean, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and even after Jesus ascends into heaven. As they continue to walk through, in fact, Jesus is going to say some of these similar things. We're getting ready to read, which we already did earlier, but the next thing that Jesus says, he's going to say it over and over again. It's going to say the disciples didn't get it. Disciples didn't get it. And even on the day that Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus is on the hill getting ready to go up to be with the Father. And the disciples say, okay, is now the time you're going to set up God's kingdom? I mean, is, is now the time you're going to conquer Rome? And, and Jesus says, not yet. If I could kind of paraphrase, not yet. We got a lot of work to do. You got to get the message out there about the cross and all that kind of, you know, not yet. And so... I mean, it wasn't even until after the ascension that they really began to kind of get the idea. But they were growing in their understanding of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And so Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anybody. And then he follows it up. And this is exactly why he follows it up. Because it almost seems like, why is he changing the subject? But it's why he follows it up with what we see in verse 22. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes And be killed, and on the third day, be raised. That statement, very similar, some with details, he's going to say three times over the next year. As they continue to minister, as they continue to go from place to place, as they continue to work their way toward Jerusalem. He's, we're going to Jerusalem, but I'm going to be betrayed. 
You know, the religious leaders, they're going to turn against me, you know, and, and I'm going to be condemned. And at one point, he even says the Romans are going to be involved. He says, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But I'm going to be raised again after three days. And they didn't get it. You know, even what we call Easter Sunday morning, they didn't get it. They weren't waiting outside the tomb for him to show up. We talked about that at Easter time. Thank God that he puts up with our weaknesses, our failings, and our inability and sometimes unwillingness to accept the truth and recognize it. God works with us. But you see, there was not just this picture of the Messiah that God had given them throughout the Old Testament. There was another picture found primarily in Isaiah, but also in the Psalms. And Bible scholars call it the one who is called the suffering servant. You've heard that before, haven't you? The suffering servant. And this was another person. And it happened to be the same person. Jesus. This one that God was going to calm. God was going to send. And he was going to accomplish great things for God's people. But in the process, he was going to suffer. And it was only through suffering that victory would be won. That's a fascinating subject that I can't dig into deeply here. But you can read about it and study it on your own, or maybe we'll do a study sometime. But the, there's just as strong as was this idea of this Messiah who was going to come and set up this great kingdom, blah, 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 blah. There is also this idea that this one to come was the suffering servant, and the Jews never put the two together because logically they don't make sense, do they? How do you have someone who's a victorious military commander who's going to conquer everything and set up God's kingdom, but yet you have somebody else who's going to come and try to do great things is going to suffer must be two different people. That's how they looked at it. But you see, Jesus is both. And he came to suffer before he comes to set up God's kingdom in a very real physical way. And so Jesus is telling them, yes, you got it right, but you got to understand the Messiah is not just the conquering king. The Messiah is the suffering servant. As we're going to see next week, He calls his followers to join him in their willingness to suffer for God's cause. We'll get to that next week. Before we move on, let me just mention what Jesus said here. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected and crucified and die and raise again. He must. And and that is a key word right there. It's used several times in the gospel, and it's always talking about something that has been pre-planned, pre-ordained by Jesus and God the Father, that it must happen because it fulfills God's purpose. And what we get to here is the reason. It's not explained in this passage, obviously, but the reason why this must happen, the reason why he must be the suffering servant before he's the victorious king is because there's a big sin problem. You see, if Jesus had come as the victorious king and set up God's kingdom on earth and everything was peace and prosperity and all that kind of stuff and people died, they would still be separated from God for all eternity because of the sin problem. Jesus came first as the Messiah, but the suffering servant. And he had to be rejected. He had to be mistreated. He had to be crucified. He had to die and rise again to pay the price for our sins. And we need him as Savior. Long before we need him as King, although he's both. So this is all part of God's plan and that's why it must happen. So those are the two questions back then. Let's look at them from today. Who do people today think Jesus is? 
Who do people today think Jesus is? Now, I'm not going to reread the list that I read at the beginning. That wasn't that long ago. But all those different ideas, all those different thoughts, titles, descriptions of who Jesus might be. But of all those descriptions, there are only really three viable options. Now, one of those options is that he's everything Scripture says to be, and there's a number of things that line up with that, but there's only three viable options, and I like what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis was a man who lived back a while ago, and he was an atheist, and God reached out and grabbed hold of him, and he was a philosopher, a, a, a scholar, and God used him tremendously in the areas of philosophy and theology and all that kind of stuff after he, you know, stopped being an atheist. And in a book that's really, really good, you ought to read it sometimes, called Mere Christianity. He talks about how we can really truly believe that God really exists and, and Jesus is God and all that kind of stuff. But he says this, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Oh, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. That's a very famous quote, by the way. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now you might say, well, why why couldn't that be possible? Why couldn't he be just a man and a great example and a great moral teacher without being God? Well, let's follow his reasoning here just for a moment. Jesus presented himself as God. Now, I will be the first to admit, Jesus never in the records that we have said, I'm God, in those exact words. But the things he did and the things that he said and many times in which he said, I am, which relates back to the title and the name of God in the Old Testament and a number of other things and other, other people saying that he, he was and, and the way he accepted that, it was very obvious that the people knew That he was presenting himself as God. In fact, that was the big thing that really ticked off the religious leaders. They actually confronted him with that a couple of times. You're making yourself out to be God. He didn't deny it. Jesus presented himself as God. And not only that, but he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So look at that. It's either true or false. Let's say that that's not true. Even though Jesus presented himself as God and said, I'm the only way to God, if that's not true and Jesus knew it wasn't true, then he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a hypocrite. 
And not only that, in spite of all the good he did, he was evil. And why would he have been evil? Because he was saying, depend on me for your salvation. But he knew that they couldn't. Okay, so that's if this isn't true. If Jesus really isn't God and really isn't the only way to Father. And he did know it was true. Well, let's say that it's not true, but he doesn't know it's true. He really does think it. Well, if he's not God, but he really thinks he's God, then he's a lunatic. No matter what other good things he did or said. I mean, how would you feel if your child, grandchild, best friend's child comes home from school and says, I got the greatest teacher? He thinks he's God. You say, I think we need to find you another teacher. Of course, in today's society, people might applaud. I don't know. Crazy stuff going on in the school system today. He'd be a lunatic. That's why some people say Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because if what he claimed is true, and he obviously knew it was true, then he's God. And he is the only way to the Father. We need to take very seriously what he has to say. And that's why, as we said, this question is the most important question you'll deal with in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? And that brings us to the last question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus to be? The most important question you will ever answer. And as I mentioned before, Luke is, is setting up his story to work his way along so that people can examine the evidence for themselves, not just that they would do it just because Luke says, hey, Jesus came and he's God. Now, he has planted the idea. He has planted the thought all along. And he did it all the way back at the beginning. And I want to look at that for just a second before we wrap this up. We can go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse 32, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to get pregnant. God's going to take care of this. And he says a number of things. But he says about this child she's going to bear that God is going to bring about in Luke 1.32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. I'm sure Mary didn't fully understand exactly what that meant and all the implications at that time. But what we know today that means is that's God himself come to earth in the flesh. So we see hinted here, demonstrated later, confirmed all the way down the line that Jesus is God himself come to earth in the flesh. Jesus is God himself come to earth in the flesh. And Luke plants that seed at the beginning so you can be watching for it as you go along through the story. Say, is that really true? Is it not? And then we get just a chapter later and there's the story of Jesus' birth. And there's shepherds, a story we all know so well. Shepherds on a hillside watching their sheep at night. And the angels show up and announce the coming of this one. And what do the angels say? Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to use that verse for just a moment to talk about who Jesus is. Not only who he is, but who he is presented to be and who he asks us to recognize he is and respond to. First of all, we have the idea that we've already wrestled with this morning, Peter's answer that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. 
And in the popular concept or understanding of the world of that day, he's the one who can solve all our problems and meet all of our needs. That's who the Jewish people were looking for, yearning for. And you know what? We can relate because we long for somebody to solve our problems, for somebody to meet our needs. And I thank God that Jesus is that somebody. Why is it that when we sing songs, we really come alive in songs like, you know, I'll use some contemporary ones, but there's old-fashioned ones too. Songs like Waymaker, right? He's, he's, he's the Waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the, the light in my darkness. We sing that song, everybody's like, yeah! We sing louder. We raise our hands. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's good. That's right. The song we sang this morning, Holy Ground, the key thought, you change everything. You can change anything. And it goes on to describe that. I think of a little bit older one, one of the black gospel songs, My God is Awesome. You sing that one, you get to swaying. My God is awesome. And you get to that part. I think it's the bridge. I don't know. Maybe the chorus. I'm not a musician. But it goes and it starts listing who he is. He's my provider, provider, deliverer, deliverer, protector. And we get excited because my God is awesome. He's the one that can make everything right. He can meet my needs. He can help me solve my problems. But if that's all we know Jesus as or all we're willing to accept him to be, as I said earlier, we're falling short. We have a tendency as human beings to focus on what we want and what we need from God and we take comfort from the fact that he loves us and that's true and he wants what's best for us and he's willing to work in our lives and he invites us to come to him with our needs. Jesus is our healer. He is our deliverer. He is our provider. He is our wisdom giver. He is our protector. He is our peace giver. He is our storm stiller. He's all those things. And one day he will come to delimitate evil and set up God's kingdom of righteousness, peace, and prosperity. All that is good. But that's not all he is. The angels, when they spoke to the shepherds, they said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. We dealt with Christ first because that's in our text. But not only is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who can and will meet at the point of our need, but he is Savior. As I described earlier, he came specifically to take care of the sin problem. And that's why he told his disciples, don't don't broadcast that I'm the Messiah because they got the wrong idea. I am the Messiah. I'll come back and do that later. But right now, we got to do the suffering servant thing. And to make it very simple, and you've heard me say it many times, but maybe there's somebody here today you've not heard it, or somebody watching online or listening later, or maybe you've heard it and didn't quite get it, that it's all about the fact the Bible says that we are all sinners, separated from God. It's a big barrier, chasm, wall, whatever picture you want to use that separates us from full contact, full relationship with God. And God says through Paul in Romans, but the wages of sin is death. Because we're sinners, what we have earned is 
death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. In other words, eternal separation from God. But that same verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. And what it all boils down to, the deepest theology you want to study comes down to just simply this, that Jesus, God himself, came to earth, became a man, lived the perfect life that we cannot live so that when he died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, as God himself doing that for us, he paid the price for our sins. And as we put our trust in him, he is our savior. Thank God he did that. Jesus is Savior. Now again, you say, yeah, Jesus is my Christ. Jesus is my my Messiah. I don't usually use those terms, but he is the one I go to with my problems. He is the one I go to with my needs. Thank God he cares. And he's my Savior. He died so my sins could be forgiven. If we stop there, we still fall short. Because when Jesus came to die to be our Savior, he didn't come just to give us a get-out-of-hell-free card. Or a get-into-heaven ticket. It isn't like, oh yeah, I recognize these truths, I'm going to say this prayer, now I'm good to go, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell, let's just live life. You see, there's a third thing. And that is that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes you hear people talk about making Jesus Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord, Jesus is already Lord. The question is whether you're going to surrender to him as Lord. Whether you're going to admit that he is Lord. Whether you're going to recognize that he is Lord. You know, it's interesting. There's nothing wrong with saying this because the truth is there. But they talk about accepting Jesus as Savior. You know? The Bible never talks about accepting Jesus as Savior. Jesus is described as Savior 12 times when I did the search yesterday. 12 times in the New Testament. 12 times it talks about we have a Savior. He's Jesus. Jesus the Savior. He's described as the Savior, but it never says to accept Jesus as Savior. Now, we need to do that. Please understand, I'm not saying we don't do that. But yet, if you do a similar search, it talks about recognizing and serving Jesus as Lord over 150 times. Because you see, Jesus is Lord. And it's because he is Lord, God himself, he is Lord, and he came to earth to be our Savior that he can then be our Messiah to meet our needs. And you can't pick and choose. You can't say, I just want Jesus to be my Messiah. I'm not worried about heaven right now and I don't want to serve him as Lord. But Jesus just meet all my needs. Now, I'm not saying that if that's your attitude and you pray to God, he won't meet your needs. I don't know what he's going to do. He's not obligated. And you can't say, well, I want Jesus to meet all my needs. I'm going to accept him as Savior because I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But then I'm just going to kind of live my own life. That's not an option he's given us. We recognize and accept that Jesus is Lord. And if he is truly Lord, then he's our Savior. And he is our Messiah. He is our one who we can come to with anything, knowing he's going to actively be involved in every situation in our life, working out what's best for us. But we don't like that third title because it means that we have to surrender. Everything. If he is Lord, he's in control. The Bible says that one day everyone will recognize and bow the knee. Last scripture, we're going to wrap this up. 
one of the most well-known passages that describe who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what the results were. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Paul's using Jesus to say we should be just like Jesus. We should have the same attitude he did of thinking other people before ourselves. And he says, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Amen. Amen. I use this as an illustration. We love to sing the songs that Jesus is my healer, Jesus is my way maker, Jesus is my champion, Jesus is all these things. And we should, and we should get excited about that. We should rejoice in that. But I am so glad that those aren't the only kind of songs. And in fact, in those same songs, it says some other things. It says some other things like Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his rule and his reign will be forever. You know, the one of them we sang this morning, it just talked about, to you are all the glory and all the honor and all the power. And can I tell you, a balanced time of worship includes both of those things. If it's all about what I've received from Jesus and that's it, oh, we're off. But when it's focused on because you are God, King of kings and Lord of lords, and you came to die to be my savior. I can turn to you for all things, and I rejoice in all that. And Lord, and we should get just as excited singing that part about God, you're God, no matter what you do for me, no matter what you don't do for me, you're God, you're worthy of praise. Even when things aren't going my way, I'm gonna praise you. That's balanced worship. So what do you believe about Jesus? I said earlier, Peter's answer was right, but his understanding was wrong. And I leave you with this. We end with this. Do you have the right answers up here? But the way you live your life shows that your understanding doesn't quite have it right. Do you not only look to Jesus to help solve your problems and meet your needs, but have you surrendered your life to him and he's your savior? And just as important, maybe even more so, have you made him your Lord? He is Lord. But have you surrendered to him as Lord? Let's all stand together. And I'm not going to beat around the bush or make a special extended appeal. But I've been praying, God, speak to people's hearts today. Here in this room online, if you're listening to this later. And if there's anybody that needs Jesus to be someone in their life other than what he already is, not because he isn't it, but because you haven't accepted him, made him it, may they respond. So I'm just going to say, if you are here today and you need a Savior, you're ready to surrender your life and say, God, Jesus, I know you died for me and I want to surrender my life, commit my life to you. I'm going to invite you to come. You can start coming even now. If you're here today and say, you know, I know Jesus is Savior. 
but I haven't really fully fully surrendered everything to him. But today I want to. It may be a general thing. It may be that God's dealing with a specific thing in your heart, in your life. You need to surrender that to God. And he's speaking to you. I want to invite you to come. And can I tell you, this is nothing to be ashamed of. This is nothing to, to say, oh, but if I go down to people, I want to tell you something. It's a process. I'm still surrendering things to God. Sometimes I do and then I take it back. I do and then I take it back. But if God's dealing with your heart and you need Jesus as Savior, you need to surrender to Him as Lord, I'm going to invite you to come down as we sing this song. would love to pray with you. Let's do that. may be people that are watching online and if you are we recognize you or even watching or listening to this later and I wouldn't want to leave without giving the opportunity for someone who might be outside this building to accept Jesus so can we just pray a prayer we'll all pray it together and allow other people to pray along from their heart to make Jesus Savior and Lord can we pray together Heavenly Father I come to you today and I recognize that I am a sinner. Your word says so, but I don't even need your word to tell me that. I see it in my own life. I disobey you and what I know to be right. I disobey what I know to be right. And I ask that you forgive me today. Not because I'm somebody or so good, but because Jesus died for me today I want to put my trust in him and I want to surrender my life to him not just so he can save me from hell and take me to heaven and work in my life but today I confess him as Lord and I pray that you would help me to live that out and I know I can't do it perfect so I need your help Father put your spirit in me live your life through me and I thank you that Jesus died for me In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it from your heart. You can begin to live for Jesus. He's become your Savior and your Lord. We'd love to help you figure out how best to do that. So please contact us. I want to say one final blessing over you. We talked about Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the one who can meet our needs. If you have a need today, just slip your hand up. We're going to pray. You need Jesus to do something in your life, your circumstances, your finances, your relationship, whatever it is. God, you see our hearts, you see our hands. You know the needs we have. And Lord, we look to you. We thank you that you are Messiah, the Christ, the one who makes all things right. And we look forward to that day when they will be permanently made right forever. But in the meantime, we pray that you'd work in our circumstances, our lives, our bodies, our finances, our relationships. We know what we need and we surrender them to you. Help us to do what we need to do. And Father, we thank you that you love us and you're actively at work in our lives to do what's best for us. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. People are still praying, but love each other. Greet one another as you go out of this place today.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 